And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, September 12th. How about a pitching episode? Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we're going to dig into some second half pitching risers and fallers, taking a look at a few different things, results, model-based things, seeing where they agree, where they might disagree, hoping to find some new pitchers we can trust in these final weeks of the season along the way. Maybe a few more established names that we shouldn't be as faithful to in the final weeks as well. I think those decisions, every little micro decision now feels like it carries extra weight as we're sort of jockeying for position either to cash or hopefully to win a league. You know, it's that time of year. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And uh, Ian Khan, I'm coming for your points record in labor. Uh, had to make a difficult decision to, you know, in, in labor, it's like a 12-team AL only league. It's one of those leagues where you're just trying not to have to drop anybody because there's nobody on the wire. And so you're always doing these like, ooh, can I leave this guy on the on the disabled list a week longer? And, you know, all these sort of machinations. And uh, so Luis Patino is a guy I'd been nursing all season uh, you know, just in case I needed him for that stretch run. And I didn't have him in for the Yankee thing, but I had to have him in this week because they had this rule where, like, if he comes up, once he comes up, you know, two or three days, you have two or three weeks, uh, and then you have to activate him. So I would have had to activate him this week. And before he got sent down, I was like, ah, if I, <laughs> I either have to drop him outright, you know, I have to activate somebody off the... Anyway... You know, it's one of those very specific things, but it's actually kind of relevant to, you know, our discussion because uh, Luis Patino, before he got optioned today, um, was the biggest dropper among starting pitchers in Stuff Plus uh, from June 1 till now. So, uh, you know, something ain't right with him. Yeah, I mean, you wonder how much just the injuries have had a cumulative effect on him not being the same pitcher he was as a prospect. I think it's it's fair to wonder about that, and it might take an entire offseason for him to take another step forward and get back to being that guy again, and maybe it's not going to happen in 2023 at all. I mean, I think we're probably looking at him more as just a late dart and nothing more as opposed to the trendy sleeper that I had hoped he was going to be. I think he made the right call, even though if you timed it differently, you could have held on to him. I don't know if you're going to feel good about using Luis Patino even in a league that deep when you know the season is hanging in the balance. At least in that case, your team has a healthy lead. So if you had had him activated for the start on Sunday, it probably wouldn't have really made a dent in the lead that you had. I mean, that's the one silver lining for a lot of our decisions right now is that your ratios probably aren't going to move much. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> So unless you are within a like a literal point uh, or two of ERA or WHIP, like uh, that, that ain't moving in two weeks. No, no, it is not. I am learning that uh, again. That lesson has been learned many times, but I'm living that one out right now. Uh, so what I did to prepare for today's show is I made a giant leaderboard of first and second half stats, and then subtracted first half numbers from second half numbers to see who was up, who was down, looking at K minus BB rate, looking to see who is the biggest riser. I'll make it a trivia question for you. You know, minimum 20 innings pitched in each half. This does include uh, starters and relievers. Who is the biggest riser who has increased their K minus BB percentage the most from the first half to the second half? Well, I'm going to do a little bit of cheating. It's not uh, the worst kind of cheating. It's just the one where I look at my stuff uh, gainers and try to try to gain, uh, try to 
try to spot somebody in there. Um, is Lance Lynn anywhere in there? Mm, no. Not enough sample in the first half, maybe. That, I think, is the issue, yes. How about Charlie Morton? Charlie Morton. No, he is up, though. Up 5.1 percentage points. That's a pretty nice increase. Um, hmm. We really liked this guy early in the year, and then he disappeared for a while, and now he's back, but he's still not particularly helpful for us in most of our leagues. Oh, well, that doesn't sound... Drew Rasmussen? No. No, that doesn't sound like uh, Framber Valdez either. Nope, I will, I'll spill the beans. It's Matt Brash. Oh. Part of being a big riser sometimes is being People who hadn't changed roles and who are still starters and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but part of it is just having a, a low mark and then being pretty good or very good. And he's yeah. been a lot better as a reliever. Okay. But I don't know. Like I, I don't know if we're looking at him and, and saying that he's clearly a reliever forever. I know there are people that are very skeptical of his delivery who thought that maybe was going to be the outcome all along. I just think every game has mattered for the Mariners this season and they didn't have the kind of buffer to let it unfold during the season. I think they might have to rethink their plans for Matt Brash again over the winter and possibly give him a chance to compete for the back of the rotation in 2023, even though the bullpen role has gone better than the starting role did during his time in the big leagues. I forget who wrote it. Um, might have just been a tweet. Maybe it was Mikey Ajeto, Um That, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to change his command that much. And in fact, there's a lot of research that shows that a big slider like his is harder to command, which is like kind of no dodge, but like... Um, and so uh, I read a pretty good argument that he should have a cutter uh, because then you have something that is in between movement wise between his slider, his sinker and his slider, have something in the middle. It's something that really worked for Adam Adovino. Now, Adam Adovino is a reliever, uh, but uh, you could see someone with sinker, slider, cutter. Uh, especially when it's a big kind of slurvy, sweepery kind of slider that Brash has. Um, you know, making it making it work as a starter. So um, I wonder if that is something that they've ever approached. That's totally something you could do in the offseason is try to develop a cutter, come into spring, say, I've got the cutter. I'm going to try and, you know, try another try, you know, one more time at, at, at starting. And if not, you know, end up in the back end of the bullpen. Right. Because, again, he'll be great there. It, it's just a matter of finding something that works to get the walk rate down. The walk rate's been high everywhere Matt Brash has pitched since the start of last season. And he's had some really good results at high A, double A, and decent results at triple A. That was mostly out of the pen this season. So, curious to see what is next for him. But the starters that have moved the most, Michael Waka, And he kind of fits into this conversation as someone that I didn't really trust at all earlier this season, but I picked him up over the course of the year in a few different leagues and have started to use him in a few places. And they're pretty important leagues where I've thrown him out there, despite the fact that, you know, I don't think the skills point to ratios that are nearly as good as what he has done so far, but the skills have improved enough to the point where I don't think the crash back to his true levels is going to be as harsh as I thought it was going to be a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think that he's a little bit of a an example of how much variance there is. You know, like the for example, the model says he's uh, you know, like a league average guy, basically. And um, you know, I don't think that he's really changed all that much about what he did last year, you know, versus this year. Uh, he's throwing the change up a little bit more, uh, and the fastball's going to more to sort of fastball change up and a little bit away from the cutter and the curve uh, that he's been trying to develop all these years. But uh, you know, I guess that's throwing your best pitches more often. But he's he's done something like this before. It's not the first time he's been a guy who was mostly fastball change. You know, um, in uh, St. Louis in 2019, he had basically the same pitch mix um and so i think this is just a little bit of like you know uh, he wasn't as bad as he was before and he's not as good as he looks right now 
And I, I kind of think of like a Martin Perez a little bit when I think of Michael Walker. Yeah, and I think we're seeing, at least with the whip, we're seeing that situation kind of go back in the direction we expected it to where yeah, it's a sub-3 ERA right now for Perez. I don't think that's going to hold over another full season. That would be shocking if it did. Um, so other names that came up for me, Blake Snell. This looks like a very good version of Blake Snell in recent weeks. Oh. Got a 26% strikeout minus walk rate in the second half. Yeah, uh, I did notice that Michael Walker has been going back to the cutter recently, and that's actually why he's, if there is a reason that he's had a better stretch, it's <laughs> he's gone back to the cutter idea um, and not just fastball change. Um, who was the guy you were just talking about? Blake Snell. Like, yeah, Snell is mostly, I, when I see, the story I see with him is just, um, you know, using the curve instead of the changeup as his third pitch. And that's something he's done over the course of the season. And I, I think that it's just, um, you know, he can command the curve better. And you, you'll see this, the curve is, he's had games where he's thrown it a quarter of the time. He hasn't thrown the change since uh, June, July 1st. He hasn't thrown the change more than five times in a game. So I think he's fastball slider curve guy now. And uh, I think he's best suited to that and in terms of command, in terms of, uh, strikeouts, it's uh, it's all sort of rolling for him. Yeah, I think the the long-term future for Snell is a little brighter today than it's been in, in probably the better part of the last year and a half. I mean, I think you can start to talk yourself into him as someone that has one more very good season in his arm still. Um, and by that, I just mean like another sub four ERA over a full season and probably a better whip than we've seen. And he might be able to turn out something that looks like what you'd expect from a top 30 starter, a top 25 starter. He might have that. You're always going to get strikeouts. Have that 2020 upside in him, I think, you know, something like a 3-3 ERA with 12K9. Like, yeah, that would. And especially if you put bulk behind that, that would he might end up a top 10 starter. He's definitely the kind of guy that I would love to pick as like my SP three next year and hope that he bumps himself up to two and one status. Yeah. And I think if, you know, the season long numbers stay sort of close to what they are right now, that price will make sense. If he keeps rolling through the final few starts of the year and pulls the ERA closer to the three, five, three, six range and gets the, the whip into the one twenty high one twenty range, that's going to draw a little more attention. He's living in that sweet spot right now where people are just like, ugh, more of the same from Blake Snell. But it looks like there's been pretty significant improvement. And you were on that pitch, that changeup for him a while ago as a pitch that he, he really liked, liked that much. he should not have liked. <laughs> so it's he nice to see that he's much. made the change. He is on the list of biggest stuff plus gainers uh, in the second half. He looks like he's around, yeah, he's about 15th. Uh, sitting there with uh, Tristan McKenzie. This is among starters. So Tristan McKenzie, uh, Marcus Stroman, Lance Lynn. Uh, those are sort of 10 through 15, um, you know, uh, in terms of stuff gainers between now and uh, June 1, uh, July 1. So, um, you know, he's really improved his, his stuff by doing this too. I mean, that's the easiest way to improve your stuff is to change your pitch mix. How about Bailey Falter? Did he make an adjustment in the model? I know the model actually liked him a little bit relative to previous uh, underwhelming results. We're seeing him with a 20% K minus BB percentage in the second half. So it's up 12 percentage points from where he was in the first half. And this looks like a nice step forward for a guy that could continue to hold a spot in the back of the Phillies rotation. Yeah, there's something funny going on there. And I actually talked to him about it. And um, the model may be wrong on him uh, because... Uh, the model says the changeup is good and he should throw it more. I think I even put him in the piece that was like, you know, underthrown pitches. And I talked to him about it and he's like, no, you're, your model is wrong. <laughs> like, my changeup's awful. What are you yeah, talking about? He said, it was, he said it was awful. It's my worst pitch by far. <laughs> I've been trying to figure it out all these times. And if you look at his results on, on Brooks baseball, like uh, batters are hitting like 300 off of it. And it's like, they're slugging it too. So it's like, uh, maybe the model's wrong here. Uh, he just felt like uh, he has a really over the top release point and uh, he's a, a breaking ball guy. Uh, I think that's why the model likes it is because he throws a change up from an, a, a weird release point uh, that has really worked for other people. 
Uh, but so in the model, he's pitching better by not throwing the changeup, <laughs> um, which has made the model say that his stuff plus has gone down. But in my heart, I feel like he's he's improving. Like you know what I mean? Like I think it's if he understands his changeup well, then then he's doing the right thing. Um, but it is interesting that he also seems to be uh, moving from a slider based uh, arsenal to a curve one. Uh, so most recently he's been four seam sinker curve, and then just a few sliders mixed in. It's a, it's not a mix that we've seen a lot of, but curves, especially kind of over the top curves like he has, don't have a great, um, uh, don't have a great platoon split and he's blessed with really good command. So I think he could be another in the sort of Zach Eflin model, uh, where he's just a, pretty good pitcher that outproduces his actual stuff by using command and moving his pitch mix around a little bit. Yeah. Walk rate for his career, 4.7%. We're almost at a hundred big league innings for Falter. And I'm not surprised to see that the whip at 119 is a lot better than the ERA at 458 to this point. The big thing for him is going to be getting away from the long ball. He's got a big home run issue so far this season. Even if you pull that down just a little bit, it's still going to be an above average home run rate. So that's the adjustment that we need to see. We need to see a better pitch mix for that. I mean, tons of fly balls in a park that historically rewards fly balls a bit more than most. But a good late round pitcher for next year and probably a more viable late season matchups play than you might think just based on some of the things that were happening earlier this season. I'm wondering if uh, you've got anything on Spencer Watkins. He's come up a few times, part of the Orioles pitching story this season, a guy that's turned out some decent innings. The improvement for him was from a miserable K-BB percentage to a acceptable one for very deep leagues. I don't know if there's still more than like an AL-only sort of arm here or a two-start week sort of option for mixed leagues, uh, but what are you seeing with Spencer Watkins? Um, not a big difference in uh, the model. Ah, Jesus. I'm really messing up my thing here. All right, here. I'm just doing, trying to do control F. Jeez. Would um, you hit command F? It's, I've, I've made some weird Greek letter. Uh, you know, his, ah, uh, here it is. His locations are up, I believe, a little bit. I don't know, man. Uh, are we sure that he's changed something? Let me see what... It's possible he's changed nothing. It's possible that he just wasn't as bad as he was earlier in the season and he's just a, a back-end innings-eating starter. Like That's fine if that's what he is. And every time I've seen games this year, uh, you know, watched games that are being played at Camden Yards, just seeing the shots of, of left and left center and how different that really is and watching balls that would have been home runs in the past land in front of the warning track like that is it is pretty jarring you can you can feel it a little bit more i know when they describe the changes in you know, Derek cardi and a lot of people put some some pretty good stuff out there explaining what was likely to happen but seeing it play out it really just sort of affirms how drastic those changes were to that park He's added a, a cutter this year that he didn't have before, um, and it's it's a really interesting pitch because it gets the most whiffs out of any of his pitches, and it also has allowed a 347 batting average and a 459 slugging, uh, and also that isolated slugging that I just quoted to you is the lowest on any of his pitches. Hmm. <laughs> I, I he improved. By adding a meh pitch is how I would put it. Well, it's just another pitch, right? It keeps you off the other stuff. Yeah, but uh, like the the model overall and just his swing strike rate plus a five, a canine that starts with five. I don't, I, I'm out. Fair enough. Uh, Reed Detmer's big mover, not a surprise given the new slider. We talked about him a few times on this show, so probably not a whole lot to dig into there. Um, I know we had that David Peterson question that came in maybe a week or so ago. He's got a 22.5% K-BB percentage in the second half. That's fantastic. That's like amazingly good. 
probably more than just a depth starter and injuries and, and eventually maybe people Wait, leaving Detmers? that rotation. Uh, no, David Peterson. He uh, might be more viable than than I previously thought. Detmers, by the way, is the fourth largest riser in Stuff Plus since June 1. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that one, just for, that one just makes for sense. Just for people to enjoy the top five, it's J.P. Sears going from 76 to 86. Adrian Martinez, uh, so maybe Oakland's going to find some guys this year. Andrew Haney uh, with the new uh, sweeper that actually moves less horizontally. Reed Detmers with the new slider. Carlos Hernandez coming back up with a little bit of velo, also in a kind of a shorter role, so that might just be a role change. Graham Ashcraft, Kyle Bradish mm-hmm. uh, with the new uh, pitch mix. So, um, you know, and then when uh, who was it, who was it we were going to after Detmers was. David Peterson. Oh, yeah. Peterson, I think was just, um, I, I think he's a, a fungible, okay guy with a really good home park and, uh, you know, some really good matchups that is somebody that, that's the type of person I'm always going to be a little bit interested in. But uh, if you look at uh, a good run of his uh, that might have started, uh, you know, in August, uh, he's had three starts at home. Uh, and one start in Miami. Uh, so the only really difficult start for him that wasn't at home was at Philadelphia. Uh, four innings, four and two-thirds with three earned runs. Not that great. But if you treat him as a streamer, uh, you would have gotten, uh, let's see here, 11, 16, 17 innings with three runs and 18 strikeouts. That is successful streaming. Yeah. I would just, I would call him a home streamer. Yeah, Velo up again this year too. 93.5 on the fastball, sliders up a little bit, curveballs up, changeups up, everything. Just throwing harder kind of across the board too. So I think that's helped to make him a little bit more stable in that support role. 380 ERA away from home. It'd be tempting, I think, to treat him next year as a sleeper for you know on the level of Blake Snell or something where you 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 maybe did a little bit lower like SP4 or SP5 and think he's gonna jump up I think I would I would treat him a little bit more uh, as someone that I don't want to start every week no I like him if he's going in that kind of back of the top 300 sort of range I think that's an appropriate like place to think about one of your Peterson. first bench pitchers yeah, then I like it because then he doesn't have to start for you in week one, and then in week two maybe you get two starts at home or whatever. You know, one of those guys is going to be up and down. Home starts, road starts against the Nats. I'm, I don't think I'm going to be fearing those next season if I had to guess. Probably still not going to be afraid to use pitchers in Miami. So, uh, yeah, a couple division opponents at the top that are tough, but even at home you might be able to get away with using him because the strikeout floor is higher than we're used to. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. How about Trevor Rogers? Seeing some improvement from him, and we wondered if there was going to be an adjustment. I think there were suggestions earlier this year that he might have been tipping pitches up to a 17.3% K minus BB percentage in the second half. That's about an 8% jump from where he was in the first half. So a pretty big leap, probably a top seven increase among starting pitchers here if I'm eyeballing the the relievers and pushing them off of the, the list accordingly. So uh, what's been the change for Rodgers? I, you know, I think, uh, first of all, the the model liked him a little bit more than it did last year for some reason. Even when he was bad? Yeah, so the model was saying he's he wasn't as bad as he was early in the season. Then he improved within it. So 
he absolutely looks like a, a more interesting pitcher to me now, even with all these struggles than before. Right now, he has a 108 stuff plus, 100 location plus, 105 pitching plus, and he pitches in a nice park. I like that. I looked at the components and where this improvement came from because he is one of the uh, bigger improvers, not uh, he's sort of back, like top 50 improver, uh, top 40 improver, but um, he mostly improved his slider. And that gives me great hope because he's always had a good, uh, he's always had a good uh, changeup, right? And so the slider has been kind of uh, part of the up and down nature of his career. Um, so he's moved, he's moved on the rubber uh, this year, and he's he's tried some different things. Um, and uh, he seems like he's throwing more of a sweeper now. So I don't know, man. I think this is the kind of thing where he's playing himself into my consideration for next year. Uh, and I'm more hopeful about him for next year. I'd consider him an interesting off-season acquisition um, in terms of uh, dynasty leagues. And I think next year, I'm considering him a step above David Peterson. He's more like a guy I think I could. I'm hoping to draft him and and start him every week if you know if things work out right. Yeah, I wonder how the prices are going to compare on those two. I think people had high expectations for Rogers coming into this year, so that might that might help the previous uh, track record. I mean, a 264 ERA a year ago, 115 whip, well over a strikeout per inning. That's probably going to carry some weight, but easily outside the top 200, I would think, at least in early drafts, maybe someone that moves a little bit uh, over the course of draft season. But uh, nice to see him getting back on track and to see that change. Because I think the way he was before, there were some questions about whether he had another way to get consistent whiffs beyond the changeup. And if that slider has improved for the better, that to me is a sign that he can actually do that. Uh, I mean, a simple would you rather, you you had Peterson, you said, behind Trevor Rogers, is, this isn't even a would you rather, this is more of a a ceiling question. Is it fair to say that Trevor Rogers has a comparable ceiling to Blake Snell, or do you think Snell's ability to miss bats raises that ceiling to the point, you said like top 10 was possible for Snell if everything were to go right with innings, does Rodgers have that kind of ceiling or is he more the ceiling of a top 25, top 30 starting pitcher if it all goes well again? Yeah, I, I think I, I'd have him, pro- I'm going to have him ranked behind Snell. Um, and I think I think ceiling is, is part of that consideration. Though I do want to point out that for his career, Rodgers has a 10 strikeouts per nine. So... You know, I think uh, there is, it's not like he's going to always strike out as few as he struck out this year. I think for him, the story this year has been trying to figure out how to use a sweeper. Because a sweeper isn't always something that leads to swing strikes the same way. You have to learn how to use it for called strikes too. It's a little bit like a sinker, right? You you learn over time how to throw the front front door sinker at the hip. And they, you know, they decide not to swing and then it, it moves into the strike zone. I think the sweeper is the same way where sometimes you have to backdoor it and front door it and try to uh, take advantage of non-swings because uh, maybe the movement profile is one that hitters can be like, oh, this is a, a really sideways pitch. This is the sweeper. I'm not going to swing. So if he can start to put it in the zone, basically, uh, he'll have more success with it. And I think that's he's learning how to do that because he's always got the change up. Um, and it's also good news. The four seamer improved, uh, over, over, over time too. So, um, I four seam change sweeper in that park. I think I take Snell's upside, but I, I'm, I'm going to have, I'm going to have Rogers maybe higher than most. Yeah. I could definitely see the, the case for it as we've talked through it here. How about Drew Rasmussen's second half improvements? I know the models always liked Rasmussen, so this is one of the the models, I think, biggest wins to this point. I mean, tip of the cap again to the Rays for seeing someone who's had multiple Tommy Johns, believing he could hold up as a starter, and then having him with a better second half K-minus BB percentage in the first half. If anything, I would have thought those would be flipped just because of fatigue, and it's been so long since he's thrown this many innings over the course of one season. So... 
where do we go from here with Rasmussen? I think he'll always carry elevated injury risk because of his past. But from a results perspective, this is even a notch better than we were seeing from him last year. The walk rate has actually improved quite a bit from 2021. One of the things that's uh, super important uh, was that uh, Rasmussen has mostly recovered the ride on his fastball. And I think that's why you see some improvement in the stuff plus numbers uh, because he added a cutter this year and he was going to go cutter sweeper curve. And I like that idea because those are pretty three different, you know, pretty different uh, breaking balls. And He's shown really good breaking ball command, so why not give him another breaking ball? You know, I love the idea. What it did was it killed the ride on his four seam, and he went from having nine inches of uh, a vertical movement on Brooks baseball uh, to in the first month this year seven and a half and eight and a half. So he really did lose some some ride. In September, he's had eight point nine. Uh, you know, uh, mo- the vertical movement on Brooks. So he's really close to where he was last year. That's basically where he ended last year, too. So I like that improvement in the four seam. And I think uh, just in terms of how you know you look at his uh, usage over the course of the season um, and you think he, you see he's really settled in four seam, cutter, slider, and the occasional curve. Um, and I think... Uh, yeah, I think the really the only, the only thing that bothers me is how, le- how far they let him go into games. Uh, and there's always the specter of a heightened injury risk with a two Tommy John guy. Um, but uh, they let him go six innings now, and they let him go, you know, almost a full game when he had that no hitter going. Uh, so he's been so efficient that he can get into the sixth and has uh, produced ten wins. So uh, maybe that part's overblown. But the part that will never really go away is, you know, how much do we trust the arm in terms of injury? Yeah, I wonder if maybe Nathan Evaldi ends up being um, a draft day price comp for Rasmussen because mm. I think that that same sort of cloud has hung over Evaldi for most of his career. He will get injured. The model loves him, but, you know. Yeah, kind of not going to crack the top 180p in any given year because the projection for innings will consistently be more like 120, 130, 140 than 175 plus and the quality of those innings will be high enough where you might think it's actually worth it at that discount i tend to think it could be in this case and uh, really impressive performance from him so far this year so among the many players that i I just love to see how everyone responds to what he's done this year if he goes inside the top 100 i probably have to bail because of yeah because uh, the quality he, even of the with as great as this as the year he's doing this year he might not even get to 140 innings right i mean like we've talked about this extensively on this podcast the idea that like oh well everyone's having fewer innings so maybe it's okay now maybe there's lighter guys that are now more viable like you know uh with all starters workloads being down but that's really kind of pushing it right <laughs> like it's what is the, the wire earned value calculator have on it Ooh. It's going to love his ratios, though. What do you, 15 teamer, what do you think it comes out to be? It's tough because it's, it's not going to be there on, on bulk and, and on wins and Ks. I, I'm going to say like uh, like 20 to 25th best starter. 20th. A $13. So among starters, filtering down just for starters real quick. Three looks like maybe twenty five, probably yeah, right around the back of the top thirty. I mean, he's even so. Here's other names that have been thirteen dollar pitchers in the same settings: Joe Musgrove, who's thrown thirty seven more innings, yeah, thirty seven yeah. more innings. Jordan Montgomery, same workload as Musgrove. Logan Gilbert, same workload as Musgrove. Uh, Kevin Gossman, similar, and it's actually more than Brandon Woodruff. Brandon Woodruff's only thrown five more innings. Than Drew Rasmussen this season. Rasmussen's been a little more valuable because, because of, of that injury. Yeah, because well, the ratios, the ratios have just been tighter. I mean, a two fifty seven ERA and a one oh four WHIP is really nice, actually. Yeah. Well, I, that's a really good pitcher, and he didn't cost uh, as much as those other names you mentioned. So ah, uh, now we're back to would you rather? Sorry, I stole uh-huh. your riff. Uh, Drew Rasmussen or Nestor Cortez for twenty twenty three. 
I'm going with Drew Rasmussen, man. <laughs> Stuff is stickier season to season. Okay, no, that's, that's fine. Um, Cortez's groin is bothering him next year. He might not have the same uh, outcomes when it comes to c- command. Drew Rasmussen or Tyler Anderson? We don't know where Tyler Anderson's going to pitch yet, do we? Because he's on a one-year deal. Drew Rasmussen, same answer. You're giving me command, guys. Drew Rasmussen versus Christian Javier for next season. Javier's been a dollar better. These guys are very similar, actually. Yeah. I'm going to take Javier. Okay. Hopes are that they... That Javier comes, you know, to camp with a curveball or a changeup or something that he can command a little better and uh, throws more bulk next year. All right, one more: Drew Rasmussen or Tristan McKenzie for 2023. Hmm. McKenzie's got a shot at 200 innings this year. He's at 165 and a third. And he was one of uh, he's in the top 15 for stuff improvers over the course of the season, which I think is kind of cool because, you know, we always, we thought like, can he continue to throw this hard? Uh, you know, can he, what's his, uh, is he, how fragile is he? You know, stuff basically mostly based on his body, I think. Um, but, uh, now he's got his, uh, location above average and his stuff above average. Uh, he's got a good park. He's got a team that makes the most, I mean, what is the team BABIP in Cleveland this year? It's, it's got to be great. Let me see here. The team, team BABIP allowed because they are just, they they seem to be game planning really, really well or something. Uh, they're fifth best uh, BABIP in, in the majors. And of course, the Dodgers are number one. They have a 256 BABIP allowed. This is relevant to all the discussions of Tony Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson. Like, you don't know where Tyler Anderson is going to be next year. It's huge for Tyler Anderson. I think so. I think there's a chance he stays. Yeah, of course. There's always a chance he stays. But without the contract, I don't think you can kind of be like, oh, he'll be there. No, but the thing is, so the Dodgers take someone like Tyler Anderson, get him on a one-year deal. I'm taking McKenzie over Rasmussen, I think. Just more innings. and. No, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm McKenzie over Rasmussen, too. But Tyler Anderson is the kind of guy that gets the one-year deal from the Dodgers, and then a team that's not as smart is like three years, sixty million, and you're like, um, that's not how you do it. Like, it, yeah. good for him, but that's not that's not how you win. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. Yep, we still have family in the house, as you can hear. Thanks, dogs, for alerting me to my own family being in my house. Thank you. They just want to make sure you don't get ambushed <laughs> by your own family. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and a child home from school with a stomach ache. So, yeah, uh, yep. See, we're they know. deep in the weeds right now. <laughs> it, 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 I, I got a description of what was going on before the show. We don't need to air it out here. <laughs> yeah. It does sound stressful. I, I will confirm. Uh, I'll confirm <laughs> that. Uh, how about Dylan Tate, another Oriole? And the reason I want to bring him up is because he's improved a lot this year. He doesn't miss a ton of bats, and he's sort of like the Tyler Wells of last season, where you get this this guy in the bullpen that's pitching really well, high-quality innings, not really walking anybody, and it's making me wonder if Dylan Tate might stretch out and try and eat more innings as a back-end starter next year. Do you think there's enough in the arsenal for them to possibly consider something like that? Because he doesn't look like a closer to me, but he might be doing enough things well to give them more than 75 innings next year. It's possible that the model does not capture everything that Tate does because his changeup has really good results. I think the driveline model likes, uh, driveline stuff plus likes Dylan Tate's uh, changeup. And for his career, batters are hitting 159 with a 186 ISO. So that could, you could, you could read that other way, but uh, batting 159 is not bad and have a 19% whiff rate on the change. So the fact that the model says his changeup is not very good, I think you can maybe ignore a little bit. Um, if he has a good changeup, he has a sinker that has a little bit below average stuff, which I think would be scary kind of moving to uh, a starter. If it's 87 stuff plus now, what will it be as a starter? However, he locates it really well, 107 location plus on the sinker, 
And then the slider is a plus pitch across the board, 130 stuff plus, 116 location plus. So uh, I think the real question is, what sort of velo will he maintain uh, as a starter? And if you want to give him the chance to show you that he can maintain it, um, I think, uh, you know, for example, uh, Spencer Strider has not really lost any velo. (laughs) Yeah, he's sort of degromming it. Yeah, so there are certain pitchers that um, are just built to throw what they throw. So maybe you move Dylan Tate uh, in and you find, oh, he can go four or five innings throwing at this velo. You know, that's how he's trained. So um, if that's the case, then yeah, I see enough I see enough upside there with the three-pitch mix and there's a possibility. I think there's a possibility too, but... Uh, what you've seen more recently this year is he's moving into a setup role and has been the guy who will get saves when Felix Batista is down. Yeah, he's been pretty useful. I've got him in an AL-only league, and he's keepable at a low price. And I think in a 12-team AL-only league, it might actually make sense because there could be more than one way for him to increase his value next season. How about Jordan Hicks? The surface numbers are still a little bit poor with the 501 ERA, the 130 whip, 61 Ks in 59 out of 30 innings for the season. Uh, Sierra suggests that maybe he's about a run above where he should be with his ERA so far. His second half has been better as well from a skills perspective. I thought it was strange they tried to stretch him out as a starter. That that decision did not make a lot of sense coming off all the lost time, especially what are you seeing in Hicks now? Are we seeing a, a more viable late inning reliever with the, the adjustments he's made? Well, you know, I think one thing that he doesn't, he never had uh, in spades, which I think became really relevant when he tried to be a starter, was he's never been really great at command. And uh, I think when you what you saw when he when they were stretching him out was, uh, you know, two walks in three innings, two walks in two innings three walks in four innings, five walks in three innings. Um, and that continued a little bit when they when they reversed course. But in this great run, I see more the reduction of walks than the increase of strikeouts as being super relevant. And, uh, you know, he has improved his location plus from, he went from 89 location plus to 93 and that's still pretty bad, uh, but you, you the way that it works is, since it's cumulative, that means he's probably had like a 95, 96, 97 location plus, um, you know, since July 1st. And that's absolutely going to work. So, you know, I, I, they have a sort of uh, abundance of riches there where I don't know how important he's going to be for fantasy. And I don't know that this improvement in command is enough to make him a viable starter. Uh, so I think he's just going to be, he could be the next closer. He could be the guy, if Helsley takes a step back or something, you know, he, Hicks could still be a closer for them. But right now I see him as kind of third in the pecking order there. Yeah, I, I think he kind of jumps off the page for me. Just if you look back since about mid-August, he's got a 17 to 3 strikeout to walk ratio in 13 to third innings. I mean, three walks for him over 10 that's, appearances is yeah, amazing. That's the big thing, yeah. Kind of putting it all together late in the year. The results haven't fully borne that out. It's a 540 ERA during that span, but that's that's usually what you're getting. Those skills usually go to like a three ERA in a short relief role. So I think he could be a sneaky handcuff for Helsley next year. Who's Helsley's gonna, you know, obviously shoot up the boards. Oh yeah. So maybe he's the type of thing where if you're in a draft and hold, you might be able to get Helsley, you know, as your second reliever if you're lucky, and then kind of maybe handcuff him with Hicks late. One more starter on the good side of the ledger, Zach Gallen getting better in the second half. And he's another one of those guys that I would looked at and said, he's been off to a great start. Innings have been down the last couple seasons because of injuries. So he's maybe going to be someone we're worried about for a fade. That has not been the case whatsoever. He's done a good job all season keeping the ball in the park as well. This is the best home run rate we've seen from Zach Gallen as a big league pitcher. Uh, the K rate's not absurd, but it's good. And because he doesn't walk a lot of guys, this is a good all-around package. I wonder if people are going to look at him and, and look at him as a you know, an SP one in disguise going into next season. Someone that if you wait a bit, if you don't go 
aces early, he becomes your SP1. Maybe you back him up with a few pitchers in the next couple rounds right after that. But I could see him getting that sort of treatment with ratios like this over a big volume of innings. Yeah, uh, he has his stuff has gone down in the model. I think that's because he's not throwing the power change as much. Uh, his location has gone up. I think that's because he's throwing the, the, the curve more and he can command it a little bit better. But this is more just finally coming around to what the model said he could do. You know, <laughs> like this is just this is who the model said he was all along. And um, I, I think the best, uh, you know, this is the sort of stuff that I'm considering next year. Um, the best move is to get him as a high end two, because then you really have a chance of uh, pairing him with someone where you get the two aces, but you didn't pay the two aces. You know, that's what I want to do. Because you can mess around and, like, identify the next Musgrove, right? Like, Musgrove was, I think, uh, you know, a model win this year. He's been good. It's not as good in the second half. Um, He's a guy that you could take as a two or, you know, the two that could fake you as a one. Isn't that sort of, am I describing Gallon as what you're kind of talking about? Like, maybe, like, you know, oh, I missed out on the guys. I'm going to take Gallon now. Uh, everything's better, though, if Musgrove was your number two this year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, I mean, you don't want him to be the one, but he might actually end up being your best pitcher. And you might have a good team, even if that's the case. I think Gallon's going to end up in uh, somewhere in the 10 to 15 spot in my rankings. And I still I still think if I can find a way to come out of drafts next year with two top, two top 15 pitchers without paying the, the sort of first second or second third round like if, if i can sort of stagger that a little bit and still come out of there with two top 15 pitchers on my rankings that's what i want to do my best teams that's that's what i did i my in my main i got wheeler and musgrove and that's what i would like to do again next year is get a back end top 10 guy and then throw in a gallon next to it gallon versus Shane Bieber for next year. What's the difference in those two guys? I hate you. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, Shane Bieber updated. Uh, it went uh, to back into I couldn't be more wrong. So I was. Uh, <laughs> I, I will eat the crow. That. I'll that eat the crow on that one. There was some. There was some doubt. It was going back and forth. Uh, it ended up in the I couldn't be more wrong category. So thank you for asking about the pitcher that I couldn't have been more wrong about unless it was Cal Contral. Well, hey, you know, I actually forgot about your your previous positions on Bieber. <laughs> organically asking the question based solely on, on leaderboard and statistical comparisons, uh, not based on the uh, yeah, yeah. past. Well, I mean, Bieber <laughs> uh, has the velo has been up a little bit, but he's 91.5 for the year. And I just can't believe that that's never going to come back and bite him. Um, and so I'm going to take Gallon over Bieber, but um, I'm not going to be so anti-Bieber. I'm going to learn my lesson, and Bieber will be in my top 15. So I, I would I would assume that Gallon and Bieber are very close to each other, sort of like 12 and 14 or 13 and 15. Ah, double down. Bury him. Put him at like 30. <laughs> I will be right eventually. Start a fire in the comments section. <laughs> It's only, it's only the appropriate thing to do at this point. You know, if you, if you feel like you've, you've been wrong, just double down, triple down, just keep keep going until you're right. That's the, well, that's the answer. His strikeout rate is really far down for his career. There are warning signs. Oh, yeah. Plenty. Just not in the ERA and web. Thank you. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com.
Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's take a look at some fallers uh, using the same simple methodology that I've been using to find oh. these risers. If you're going to give me a guess, Joe Musgrove. Um, biggest among starters, no. Shamanaya. <sighs> Manaya, I think, is a pretty big faller. He's a faller, but not not extreme, which is surprising because I, I look. I feel like every time I look up, he's had a, a rough start, and it's not. I know that's not the case, but it's just been the vibe lately. Uh, is it possible, like an Alec Manoa or Michael Kopech? No, uh, Nathan Evaldi. Oh, down eleven point one percent in K minus BB percentage from uh, the first half to the mm. second half. He does figure around in the in the biggest fallers, but he still looks pretty good in the model at least. What is are, have his results uh, also taken a dive? Yes, his at least his Sierra is about a full run higher hmm. in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, uh, who, who was our darling earlier that we put next to Evaldi? Like like Snell. I think I'd take Snell over Evaldi pretty easily at this point. Yeah. He's uh, reducing his fastball usage, and he's trying to up his cutter usage uh, to to counteract something that's going on. Not using the slider as much. He's definitely he's definitely aware of what's happening. It's the uh, he's doing the old pitcher thing where he's trying to trying to throw everything thirty five percent of the time. Is he a free agent at the end of the season? I think he might be a free agent. Um, I think yes, he is. Yeah, he because is. he was he was rumored to be on the trade block. Right. So he's a free agent. He'll be thirty three in February. And if you look at the last few seasons, twenty nineteen injuries, bad results, shortened season, bounced back. Twenty twenty one, very good. Twenty twenty two, a small step back and lost time. Underlying skills still look good. Controls really good. Home runs. I care have been where bad. he ends up, man. Like if he ends up in San Francisco. Oh, he's their type. I think he might be, yeah. He's exactly their type. Elevated injury risk, multi-year deal, not insane money. Arizona could be looking to beef up their starting pitching. You know, yeah. I think he would be really interesting there. Uh, I don't like him as much in places like Atlanta, Boston, New York, <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think he's probably going to be more in the let me go somewhere that's good for for me to turn it around and get one more big deal. One of those one year deals. So he he might be in Tampa. He could yeah. go back to he could go he could try Tampa. Uh Tampa likes the one year deals. Uh LA likes the one year deals. You hey, know. Everybody likes a one year deal. Yeah, New York likes them too. But I I think this is a good this is a very good a early Yankee. target. I don't want him as a Yankee. No, but I think we know what happens in these situations, right? Think about Carlos Rodon, once he signed with the Giants, how much everyone just took off with his ADP. Get Evaldi in the early part of draft and hold season before he has a team. Yeah, take that take that chance, yeah. Yep, because I think more likely than not, a, a smart team, probably one with a pitcher-friendly environment, is going to end up taking the chance on him. The home runs will come down, and even if that happens, that alone will bring the ratios down and make him uh, quite a bit more effective couple more names to throw at you here <laughs> no dude and don't bother me right now <laughs> screen time request denied cookie request home from school with a stomach ache and he wants a cookie hmm, hmm. boy that's he's got to work on his game yeah come on dude if he waits until three o'clock and says Dad, my stomach is feeling better. Oh, now Do you think I'm I can hungry. have a cookie? <laughs> yeah. That's different. But in the first half of like, the day, he's home like 15 minutes ago from school. No, I'm not giving you a cookie. Yeah, that's just not how it works. That's a. I think you can safely say he's not Ferris Bueller, and that's probably good for you as a parent because that could you know, lead to some significant issues. His game is not as advanced. Ferris Bueller stuff he's gone wrong. Great dad. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a little time. Yeah. We'll learn the craft. He might be Ferris Bueller later. <laughs> <laughs> I bet him there's actually a chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shane McClanahan down, but it's like, dude, he was 
31% K minus BB percentage in the first half. Where where did you expect him to go? So I don't I don't know if there's a whole lot to worry about there. It's just a health question. Yeah. His stuff is uh did decline. He's in the sort of bottom 30 uh or in the top 30 in declines, however you want to say that. Um and it's it's a little bit worrisome uh, paired with the injury part, I think. You know, to have him decline a little bit and then and then uh and then grab a shoulder. I don't love that. But he's going to be in my top 5 next year. I don't think I'm taking him out based on any of this. It's going to be a fun draft season staring those picks down in the uh, the early part, uh, probably like middle of round two, late part of round two in many cases is where he'd be going if you got him as a top five pitcher. Uh, Freddie Peralta back on the IL with that shoulder. I think oh, that, no. that explains a lot of it, and that's a harder one for me to have a lot of health confidence in given that it's put him on the IL twice in a reasonably – small amount of time yeah so. shane's has been a lot more like oh he had an impingement you know he might even be in the he might even be activated and, and pitching again this week so if he's back this week and pitches every fifth day for the rest no of the one, season yeah, then no i think that fades uh, craig kimbrell looks like he's finally done as a closer second half fade they're not even using him exclusively as the closer anymore they also win by like 20 when they win so they don't generate as many save chances as you'd hope, but I think I've reached that point in a few leagues where saves are super clustered and Kimbrel can be my third reliever in the lineup. I still look very carefully at who the sixth starter would be in that same lineup before even thinking about using Kimbrel in those spots. Yeah, a minimum 100 pitches uh, since July 1st. The biggest decliners in Stuff Plus are Mason Thompson, Elvis Piguero, Nabil Krismat, Sam Mall, Austin Pruitt, say it ain't so, Hobie Milner, and Craig Kimbrell. Corey Abbott and Liam Hendricks round out the top 10. Mm, Hendricks so, is in there. Hendricks is in there. However, the number that he landed on, uh, 129 stuff plus, is the best of anybody in here. Uh, Kimbrell still has a 114 stuff plus uh, for the season. Um, and so, you know, you could say that he might be undervalued. Maybe somebody gives him a one-year make-good deal next year, like he returns the Cubs on one of those one-year deals they love to to hand out in the bullpen. Uh, but if he went from a 121 stuff plus to a 114 stuff plus in two months, that means that he's been living precariously around 100, which is not where I want to buy my relievers i like to have clear stuff plus guys uh so let me get the player name and see what kimbrell's been doing because by appearance because it looks pretty bad yeah oh look at that last four or let's let's say last uh ooh, look at this last 10 appearances Kimbrel Stuff Plus has been three, 108. Yeah, it's just not what you get from a closer on a great team in a loaded bullpen. Whoa, and he had a five-game stretch in in late July where he didn't crack 100. I think uh, to some extent he's he's climbing his way out of, a, of, out of that ditch. But I think uh, you're mostly uh, you're mostly this is like end game bench type stuff where you're just throwing a dart and you hope to some you're hoping some team that needs a closer picks him up on a on a one and one and eight like you know where he almost like he's a little bit better than this still but he's like almost in that Mark Melanson late Mark Mark Melanson career where you're hoping you get him the year he goes to San Diego right and he signs the one and eight or whatever and he gets you thirty saves and everyone's sort of surprised. I could, yeah. I could still see another year or two like that for Kimbrell. Yeah, I think it's it's just the way it goes eventually. I wonder I wonder if he actually he's probably not a Hall of Famer, but he could be in the eyes of some at least. I mean, he had a really nice peak. I'm looking at some of the baseball reference markers for him. The Jaws work that Jay Jaffe does has him mm-hmm. not in. But there are also there aren't the, there aren't the many relievers in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So Trying to define what those players should really look like is, is still kind of happening. 
this last four year stretch is is maybe take him out of it. One thing I think you need to do with a reliever is you just need to have great longevity. You know, that's how Billy Wagner and a lot of these guys separated themselves is what happened in the last five years. Billy Wagner retired at the top of his game. You know, true. He wasn't really putting up fives and, uh, you know, what is it? There's a, there's a six, five ERA in 2019, a five in 2020, almost a four this year. So I think he's kind of played his way out of it a little bit, but you might be motivated to come back and, you know, do the driveline or do whatever it is and, and come back and, uh, uh, and add two or three good seasons of, of two, two ERA to kind of, you know, put him like, literally he could do that. Right. Like if he came back and did like three more seasons of a two ERA and, and gave you like a hundred more saves or, you know, like 90 more saves, I think he might be in the hall of fame. So he has 394 saves. If he came back uh, with a three, three year stretch, uh, not even like his peak, but like, you know, late peak, uh, he could be much closer to 500 saves. And I think that puts you in the hall. So he just, he needs to do something because he's, it, I'm not saying, I'm not predicting that for him. I'm saying like, there's a slight chance of that. And, so I'll, I will remain interested in him on draft day next year. But uh, this year I have a few of shares of Craig Kimbrell because the stuff was still good. And I did get rewarded for it, I think, with the saves I wanted. But I, I'm not necessarily itching to re-up. Yeah, the end of the season has not been as smooth as you might have hoped. Uh, rapid fire here. Some other names that are, are big fallers in K-minus BB percentage. We'll stick to starters for the rest of this episode. Jesus Lazardo down 5%. Marcus Stroman, which is weird. I think he said his stuff was up, but his results are down. Michael Kopech, who you mentioned earlier. And yep, he's part of this group. Uh, Eric Lauer, Sonny Gray, Tyler Anderson. Dylan C's kind of doing the, Sonny I was Gray way hurt. up here and now I'm down a little. Yeah, Sonny Gray's been hurt. Lauer's so, yeah, hurt Dylan now. Dylan C's doing kind of the Liam Hendricks thing. Where no, I'm still great. I'm just you know, yeah. Shane McClanahan. Mike Clevenger, which I would would make me just wonder about fatigue for someone coming off Tommy John. He's also done a pitch mix thing, which I don't think is an amazing idea for him, which I think he's throwing the cutter more. Hmm. I don't know necessarily why. Uh, and he, then he, he kind of has been coming off of that. There was, But he's added a cutter this year uh, and last year, and I, I don't know. I like his changeup. I don't know why he's not throwing it. Uh, Frankie Montas down 7% as well. So some pretty big fallers in that group. A lot of them have been dealing with injuries, though, and I think that's at least a good part of the explanation in most of those cases. Anderson, Tyler Anderson being down and then thinking about what you said earlier about their BABIP as a team being so good, the warning signs are all there for for why it it shouldn't be a big multi-year deal somewhere else this offseason. Yeah, we're we're testing some new models, uh, uh, new pitching models that are slightly different, um, and ta- and and Tony Gonsolin looks a little better in those, um, but I doubt I'll have a ton of shares of Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson next year, just because, I, like a two fifty Babbitt from the Dodgers in a year where they're they're gonna you know have a big change in shift rules, I don't know that I want to to re up on that. The largest decreasers in Stuff Plus. Uh, among starters, Luis Patino, number one, uh, Connor Siebel, Jansen Junk, uh, who is kind of in between starting and relieving and changing roles is a, way, a real way to lose uh, stuff. Plus, Jesus Lazardo, fourth, Spencer Howard, Robert Duggar, Corbin Martin. Now, Robert Duggar is down to almost not usable territory, of course. Corbin Martin, that's a little sad. Uh, league average stuff now, and he had been at 105. Sean Manaya, we've watched this happening in real time. Um, Adam Oler, Cutter Crawford, bit of a role change aspect there too, where he was relieving and is now starting. Um, and then just some interesting young pitchers that are, that uh, have dropped over the season. Aaron Ashby and Braxton Garrett have seen their stuff uh, drop off over the course of the season. So. Injuries for both of those guys, too. I remain uh, reasonably upbeat about those two and will have shares of them next year. I really like Aaron Ashby's chance to kind of 
jump from you know buying him as an sp5 territory to you know giving you an sp3 type season and i think uh garrett is more someone that i'd hope to buy as uh, a bench streamer that might surprise me into playing more often garrett over david peterson they're going to be pretty comparable in terms of a price, though. Peterson does have slightly better stuff plus numbers, and so that might be surprising to some because uh, Garrett's best foot forward is his command. But Garrett's command is the type of command that has held steady in terms of uh, his prospect ratings, his minor league numbers. Uh, it's not just a one-year command bloop. Um, so I see him as a guy who has a lot of pitches and good command of them, whereas Peterson... Uh, doesn't have great command of his pitches, and none of his pitches are really that standout by Stuff Plus either. So that's my reasoning for Garrett over Peterson. But I would love to draft. I, you know, I'll have shares of both, and I would, and I would like them in the same place. Yeah, same range. I think that 250 to 300 range, probably where you're going to see those guys settle in ADP wise, at least early on in draft season. That is going to do it for us today. And our dogs and my boys. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they're, they're out to too. to the guest appearances. <laughs> good luck to the, the cookie-seeking child in your home. I, I don't feel good about his chances. I got to go make sure he didn't just take a cookie. If you'd like to save some money to buy yourself some cookies, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Rates and Barrels returns on Thursday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.